0: How do you fit into a new country with a different culture from your own? How can we develop a sense of belonging while celebrating our differences, especially when we are migrants or expats trying to make a home in a new place? Welcome to Creative Conversations, the Tiger Spirit podcast exploring creativity in all its diverse forms. This episode is also part of Oxford Moments, a multimedia blog about Oxford its people and places. I'm Yang-Mei Ui. I'm an author and podcaster. My guest today is cross-cultural consultant and expatriate coach, Patty McCarthy. She was born in the UK and grew up all over the world. After living and working in Australia, she has now settled in Oxford, for now. She joins me to talk about how to spark cultural chemistry in order to be happy and successful when living or working with others from a different culture. So, Patty McCarthy, welcome to the Creative Conversations podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Yang Mei.
0: Now, you are a cross-cultural consultant and expatriate coach. Um, so, how did you gain your cross-cultural experience?
1: Most of my experience is lived experience rather than academic. So I started moving when I was eight. I moved from England to Belgium and grew up there. And then when I was a le- teenager, moved to America and had a few years there as well. And, and then sort of over the last, well, I've lived more than two thirds of my life outside of England. So after America, came back to England for a while, then went to um, Botswana for a year went to Australia for 6 years, back here for 3 years, Singapore for 2 years, another 18 years in Australia and then finally back to England again 4 years ago. Gosh. And yeah, so along the way picked up a few <laughs> picked up a few ideas but also have been working as a coach and trainer in this area since 2008. So a lot of what I know now is what I learned from other people.
0: Brilliant. So um, we'll come to um, go through in detail um, what exactly you do as as a consultant and, and coach. Um, but I'm just fascinated by your global wanderings um, and in quite uh, different uh, cultures. Um, what was it like in terms of your first experience uh, in a different culture?
1: Well, it's interesting because obviously I didn't realise it at the time, but when I was eight, I was given two very different ways of treating cultural differences. And 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 they've really sort of shaped how I behave towards others now. So I moved into the street in Belgium and there were other kids my age, but nobody really spoke each other's languages. So there were French kids, German kids, Dutch kids, Italian kids, me, uh, you know, we all spoke. Obviously I spoke more than a few words of English. They had a few words of English. I had a few words of French but we had a collective need to have playmates so we just went out there in the street and got on with it with our balls and our bikes and our and we went to each other's houses and we learned about each other's cultures just out of curiosity and, and interest and enjoyment. And I remember learning call like the flavours of ice cream in Italian from from Simonetta and then, you know, going to Amani's house and learning about Santa Claus and uh, so different elements of, of different cultures.
0: So this is interesting because I think children um, manage to make friends uh, in a way with minimal language. Um, was that your experience that, you know, you said you had a few smatterings of, of different um, words in different languages, but at, at the same time, you were able still to make friends?
1: Well, you know, I think what was interesting in that at that time was that because in that group, we were, it was just one person from lots of different cultures. So there wasn't a group think. And my I mentioned that there were sort of two experiences and the other was going to an American international school where most of the kids were American. And I came back from lunch one day and found all the desks arranged in a big block, except for my desk. And this very nasty little American girl said, you can't sit with us because you don't sound like us. Oh, no. So so and I think that's what happens when uh, when groupthink kind of kicks in. So. um, So, yes, you're right. I mean, children do bond without asking questions, without thinking much about it but they are, I think, as vulnerable to pressure from others as grown-ups are. So, And what that taught me was, well, A, that I much preferred the former approach, and B, it taught me the importance of being a cultural chameleon. And so by the end of that first week, I had a fantastic American accent (laughs) to the point that when we moved to to the States um, seven or eight years later, And my friends would ring up from school and I'd be like, oh, sure. Hi, Julie. Hi. Yeah. Oh, you want me to come over? Sure. I'll ask mom. Mom, can I get to Julie's on Friday? Oh, sure, Julie. Mom says yes. And my mother would just be looking at me like, what is this devil child I have in my kitchen?
0: (laughs) I, I love that story. And, and if I, I'd love to share my, my experience of coming to England because I came from Malaysia. And, um, although I spoke technically correct um, English grammatically, uh, um, I, I sounded Malaysian and then it's all a bit sing song like this la. And, um, I had difficulty fitting in at, at first because of the accent. So luckily I have quite a good ear. Um, and I was able to, um, well, uh, uh, Gain this this particular voice, um, which has actually held me in quite good stead uh, in in England all, for, for for the rest of my time here.
1: Yes, and then the other thing that happens often is that we live in a country when we're younger, and we learn slang and things like that. And then years later, you know, we're talking about it, and we're saying things like "groovy baby," you know, in in French or Spanish, and people around us are going,
0: "What?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's interesting just to stay with language for a little bit because um, when you learn a different language um, uh, and I remember at, uh, in Malaysia learning English from these um, books these phrase books and um, one of the phrases that we learned was it's raining cats and dogs <laughs> <laughs> and of course you get here and you use that and nobody uses that <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like in australia people always turn up and say son g'day and I'm like, you know, don't really say g'day other than out in the country but you know they do call each other mate all the time but they don't use g'day very much so.
0: um which which brings to mind um uh, that that film crocodile dundee um what, what what do you make of that um and i'll i'll, I'll um uh, we'll talk about your time in australia as well as part of this if you don't mind
1: what do I make of Crocodile crocodiles? I see, well, I mean, it, it's 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 a hooter. It's it's a, it's fun. Um, it's every Australian stereotype sort of rolled into one. But uh, stereotypes are interesting. I think stereotypes happen because a lot of people in that country do actually behave that way. That doesn't mean they all do. And the problem with stereotypes is probably. That they tend to be quite pejorative, so they pick out the most, the aspects of people's behavior that other people find difficult, I suppose. But, you know, the way Crocodile Dundee behaves, he's very laconic, he's very, um, let's say, um, uh, economical with the truth sometimes. He's always got a kind of sharp one liner. He's very laid back and great sense of humour and all of those things are are very common in Australia. But, you know, on the other side of it where we talk about Americans being loud, you know, most Americans, many Americans are loud. Many Germans are very organised and, you know, very, very many Swiss people are very punctual. So, So stereotypes, I think, are not without their element of truth. It's just that we have to be always sure to remember that that's only one part of the puzzle.
0: So having um, lived your experience across many different cultures, um, you now um, uh, help people as a cross-cultural consultant and expatriate coach. Um, What does that involve? What do you actually do?
1: So the coaching is with individuals, couples, families, and it's helping them to understand the differences um, in sort of cultural foundations, values, or the social mores that actually contribute to making a country the place that it is. So, but expats or expats also have to learn how to be expatriates. So it's not just a question of, you know, getting there, unpacking your boxes and living life as usual. You've got to build a, a new network of friends. Well, you know, how do you do that? Um, often people struggle with things like, guilt at leaving elderly parents or they have teenagers with them who are reluctant to to go along you know with the ride and so there are all those other aspects often relationships come under a lot of stress because particularly in relationships where both parties work and one person may have given up their job their career in order to support the other person and then they get there and and in non-covid times usually the the working partner is suddenly off traveling a lot. They're flying around, you know, regional offices, meeting people, and they're putting in long hours in order to make a good impression at work. And and the person at home is suddenly, like, left with all the, basically all the crap to sort out, you know, to sort of, you know, to unpack the boxes and get the Netflix guy in and the, you know, the telephone man and all of those, and the school uniforms. And, and it suddenly like, God, I've got all this junk to sort of sort out and you all meanwhile swanning around Southeast Asia or wherever it
0: is you know and and so actually um thinking about it you know trying to doing simple things like getting you know the utilities guy in um, or somebody to plumb in your washing machine um, different countries do it in a different way I would imagine so you're having to grapple with that as well how you how you book an appointment, how you call somebody, how you make those arrangements.
1: Yes, absolutely even those kind of simple things can um, can be a challenge and particularly if you don't have English as your first language or you know whatever the country that you're going to I mean and it could be really complicated you know it could be Vietnam or you know Nigeria or something like that and you've got to you need some advice on on actually, how to go about that. So and I remember a friend, uh, well, she became a friend, but a, a client who was a French woman who moved from Australia to India. And, and I was saying that in my experience, relationships were really, really important in India. So the best way to get something done was basically to try to build a relationship with everybody. So so she took my advice and she they had to have a, a new boiler installed or something like that. And um, so the man came along one day and sort of took the boiler away. And then he came back the next day and installed a new boiler. And all his friends, was, all her friends were saying, like, well, that's amazing. You know, they never come back. You know, How did you do that? And she said, well, you know, I, t- I took Patty's advice and, you know, I had a really good chat with the with the plumber while well, he was here. And I asked him all about his family and I made him a cup of tea and, you know, and then he came back happily the next day. So.
0: That's wonderful. And I-, I love this idea of learning how to be an expat because, of course, um, you know, we assume um, our way of doing things and our world um, is the norm. Um, and so you go off and you you arrive in another place and you've got to actually... Um, You mustn't assume, I suppose that's what you're saying, you mustn't assume that um, everything is done the way that you're used to doing and you've got to learn that you're the outsider?
1: Well, yes, definitely that sort of notion of being the outsider if you're in the minority. But of course, that also happens when you're working across cultures. So you start to work with an office in another country, but you don't actually move there. And there is very often an expectation that, they will adapt to me, um, or that if the meeting is being run in English, for example, that people will adapt the sort of more western way of of running meetings in terms of of timekeeping and and um and in terms of how much effort goes into actual relationship building rather than just business being treated a bit more transactionally. so um so I think really, in any situation where there is a minority and a majority, the minority has got to learn to adapt themselves and be willing to do so and that doesn't mean losing yourself it doesn't mean sort of saying oh well taking the the yang maid that lived in Oxford and leaving her behind and becoming someone new I liken it to like having an outfit that you put on you know that you put your swimsuit on when you go to the pool or you put your black tie gear on when you go to Glybourne, you know, and they're just different facets of you. And I think it should be just the same that you go to work with your French colleagues, you try to fit in, you take the path of least resistance. And to me, that seems a really obvious way to behave. But, and, and I think really often the problem is that people don't realise that, that they're sort of acting in what I call cultural cruise control. You know, that they're just so immersed in their own culture
0: that they don't think about there being another way of doing things I, I love that image of um, a, a different outfit because I think sometimes one can feel well why should I change um, I'm from Malaysia uh, this is you know thinking about when I, I came over here and one of the issues and this is a slightly different issue I suppose is um that my name, Yang Mei Ui, is, is the Ui. I've, I've said it automatically with my surname at the back. Um, but actually in Chinese culture, the surname goes in front because the, that's the family name and the family is more important. So in Malaysia, I'm Ui Yang Mei. Um, and coming over here, initially I was kind of sticking, sticking to my guns and this is who I am. This is Chinese culture. I'm really proud of it. And it just got really annoying because everybody. Would, called you Ui. Ui exactly. <laughs> Um, so kind of I like that sort of putting another outfit on for now while I'm here. And then when I go back to Malaysia to visit my parents, I've got to remember to put it the other way around.
1: Yeah, I heard a lovely story um, on similar lines recently about um it was a woman from Ghana. And she said, you know, in Ghana, if somebody stops you and asks you for directions, you know, you have to really stop and sort of look at that person and say, oh, right. You want to go to the to the cinema, you know, it's down here and, you know, da, da, da and you know and are you okay is there anything else i can help you with and are you okay with those bags you know do you need some help carrying it and you have a conversation whereas she now lives in holland and she said you know if people stop and ask you for directions and you ask these kind of like and how are you and do you need help they look at you like what you know and then she says she goes back to ghana and she's just very like yes down here on the right and they're like well
0: how rude you know (laughs) that's a really <laughs> lovely story um so in, in terms of how you help people um you know can you only help them if they've they're going to the countries that you've been at where you've lived like um, Belgium and America and Australia
1: no um it's interesting expatriate coaching has been around for for quite a while as a support service and probably 10 years ago people would often have a whole week cross-cultural training and Literally, you would be taught anything that you might ever, ever need to know and a lot of stuff that you didn't need to know, like how many rivers there were in the country and what were the square kilometrage of it and so on. And a lot of it, I think, was just kind of like filling up the space. So now we're lucky if we get half a day or a day, a day is like, wow, that's fantastic. And a whole day. So, so the, inf- and, and part of that is because a lot of the information that we used to have to give people is now available on the internet. And so and also, you know, a lot of it is not relevant, but primarily it's driven by budgetary restraints, that people wanting to to spend less. So so I think actually in that 4 to 8 hours, I've got maybe 25% of my time is actually talking about the country that they're going to and how they do things there. And and I'll tell you about the other 75% sort of in, in a minute because you're thinking, well, what kind of cross-cultural training is that? But um, but in that 25%, I can give them like the top 10 things that they need to know in order to begin to sort of to make the, a good first impression and to set off on the right foot. And after that, they're going to learn as they go along because, to be honest, sitting on Zoom, you know, in another country, talking about all these things, a lot of it doesn't make sense till you're there and actually sort of living it. It's like learning a language you know you can make so you can make good progress you know doing your Spanish classes in Oxford, but when you go and spend a week in Spain, that's going to do far more for your language than than lessons here so.
0: And so are you, would you be available to your clients um, after the sort of um, the initial training? So, you know, they've landed in um, Spain or wherever, and, and suddenly they've got a, oh, I don't know how to do this, or or this, I'm, I'm really upset, or I'm really, I'm just not coping, I've, I've got culture shock. Um, would you be available for them then?
1: Yes, absolutely. And in fact, COVID has actually been my friend in <laughs> in one sense. <laughs> um, because the traditional model of, of expat or cross-cultural training for expats was always that you sat down with someone in a room and you gave them sort of four or eight hours of information and you hoped that they would remember you know 20% of it so and I think to be honest that was a a model that appealed to global mobility and HR professionals and they could say well you know Joe and Janine blogs are going off to Nigeria and they've done their cross-cultural training tick so Now, because it's all online, I actually work with clients for sort of an hour a week, over sort of four to ten weeks, and I have about four hours of information that I give them, and then we have time for them to come up with all sorts of unusual questions, like I've got to make a presentation to the board on Thursday, should I wear a tie, or how do I start a conversation with mums at the school gate? Or what do I buy the children's teacher for Christmas? You know, how much money should I spend on it? Where's a nice place to go for half term? All you know, how do I get the plumber to come back and fit the boiler on the second day? So all kinds of questions that they don't know. They don't know what they don't know at the moment, you know. And so they've got to wait until these situations arise. And then they suddenly think, oh, that was a bit awkward. I wonder what went wrong there.
0: That is brilliant, isn't it? Because you are there on hand and as they're living, as they're having their lived experience, they've got someone um, that they can they, they they can call a friend, call a friend as it were, call yeah. you. Um,
1: yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny that you say call a friend because I remember years ago when I was talking to someone about what I did and how, so in Australia often when, when people arrived, I would work with the accompanying partner who... Might often be at a bit of a loss. Of what are they going to do with their lives? And and I might take them to the market, for example, and we'd spend a couple of hours, you know, wandering out, showing them places at the market. We'd have lunch, you know. And someone said, "Oh, so you like phone a friend?" And I was like, "Well, if you like, I don't have a problem with that because actually, I think a friend is what people really need at that time. So, and I'm a friend that you can ask silly questions to and. <laughs>
0: I, 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 that's an that is really um, quite heartwarming because I, I suppose um, I'm thinking about my own experience. Um, I uh, lived in London for thirty plus years, um, and then I moved to Oxford uh, in October eight months ago. Um, and um, it's the same country, um, and we all speak English and the same culture. But I was thinking, oh, I don't really have that many friends, if at all. So I need to go out um, and make friends, um, and I'd love. Um, to, for, for you to, to, to talk about some of your tips for making friends and what you help your clients do when they go elsewhere and try and make friends. But I just want to share how you and I, for our listeners, how you and I became friends and, and how we came to end up today talking uh, on this podcast. Um, I volunteered at the local community centre, um, and I was having my induction, and the uh, trainer lady was showing me around, and Patty was uh, already a volunteer, and she was working in the refill shop. And we just struck up a conversation, we chatted, and I thought, hmm... She doesn't sound like she's from around here, uh, because you've got this slight Australian accent. And of course, you know, we just in a few moments, I I I was struck by. I thought, oh, she's really interesting, um, and I want to be her friend, or I want her to be my friend. Um, I thought, how do I do this? You know, do you just go up to someone and say, "Gosh." I like you. Will you be my friend? Is that a bit creepy? <laughs> um, so uh, I kind of um, uh, let you serve a couple of people and I sort of hung around. And then we, we struck up the last bit of our conversation. And I said, well, I've got to go, but um, I really enjoy talking to you. Um, um, shall we keep in touch? Um, and to my great relief
1: (laughs) I said yes and I actually only live a few minutes away so why don't we meet up for a walk and then we've been doing that ever since yes and it's been great (laughs) but I think one of the things that people really have to remember when they move is that they need friends more than those new friends need them okay so you move to Hong Kong and people have already got friends they've got plenty of friends and I mean somewhere like Hong Kong it's different now but you know in the old days when expats would sort of come and go much more quickly there was always a feeling that well you always had to have kind of friends in the wings as it were because your your current friends might be leaving at the end of the year so um, but somewhere that maybe isn't so much an expat destination when you arrive there the people that you want to be friends with have already got full dance cards and no I don't know if any of the listeners will remember that, you know, grandmothers and great grandmothers used to have a dance card and they'd go along to a dance and there would be maybe sixteen gaps on it, and they'd have a little card and a pencil on their wrist, and young men would come up and say, Oh Maud, you know, may I have a dance tonight? And she'd look and she'd say, Yes, well I can give you number nine. And then by the end of the evening, the you know, well really, you know, depending on the popularity of the girl, the card might fill up very quickly and um, somebody might get you know two dances if they were lucky but you know the latecomers it was like well no sorry you've kind of missed the boat and and that's rather what it's like when we go to a country and we want to make friends with people because the people that we are targeting their dance cards are full so <laughs> it sounds really awful but you've you've kind of got to be such a fun nice outgoing super person to be with that someone else gets pushed off the list
0: (laughs) so do you have any do you have any sort of practical tips that you could you could share
1: well you know i think one of the things you've got to uh, just to take on board and accept is that you've got to do you've got to be the one making the effort so um you've got to be the one inviting people to dinner organizing housewarming parties you know initiating conversations whatever it is that you do and so that people come along to you and you see more of them and still there are going to be people who will never invite you back and there will probably be some people who when they leave you think oh my god you know I like her but he was awful or you know whatever or I hope we never have to see those people again or you know so it doesn't always work out but that's just part of the progress and 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 what I say to people is so often people will arrive thinking, oh, you know, I've left England and I had so many friends there and they arrive in, I don't know, let's say China. And they say, you know, I really need to to create a new friendship group and I need at least sort of, you know, six or eight or 10 friends in order f- for me to feel like I'm sort of fitting in here. And you can't make that number of friends in a hurry. But I say to people, look, if you go out and do a couple of networking events every week. So, you know, you go to a, a, a local event where you not just going to the theater or something like that, but actually becoming a member of your local theater so that you can join in the pre-show drinks and actually have an opportunity to talk to people. You go to a networking event of some kind. If you go to two a week for a month, I can guarantee there'll be one person that you've clicked with in that time, right? You do that for 12 months. By the end of the year, you've got 12 friends. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> do you don't ever sit down and try and eat the whole cow at one sitting. You know, you just kind of... Um, all- bowl of lentils or whatever your gig is you know you're just small baby steps little one
0: mouthful at a time. Wonderful so now you've written a book capturing all this experience uh, it's called Cultural Chemistry um, and in it you set out four key things for developing cross-cultural understanding can you tell us a bit more about your book?
1: Yes and there may well be people saying hmm she said a while ago that that talking about cultures was only 25% and there was 75% missing and Poor continuity here because she never got back to the seventy-five percent. So, so here's the other seventy-five percent. So, I am a, I'm a coach by training, and when I came to write a book about cross-cultural differences, which basically happened because. I used to do a lot of radio when we lived in Australia and people would call in with stories about things that had happened to them and, and people would always say, Have you written a book about all these experiences? And I was Oh no, not yet. Sort of anyway, I finally kind of put pen to paper And sat down to write the book, but I thought, I don't just want to give people a list of sort of stories, many of which are funny, but many of which are a bit sad as well. Um, uh, I wanted to give people a bit of a self-help model as well. So I came up with this, what I call the four R's, and they stand for rewards, research, reflect and reach out. So rewards is about setting your goals at the beginning, like any kind of coaching model. So, it's incentivizing the person to invest their time and perhaps their own money into understanding well, what are the benefits to be gained from improving my cultural awareness? So, and they can be professional and personal. So, in a professional, it might be something like, you know, boosting employee engagement, becoming a better leader because you understand how people in your team like to be led. So, it might be better growing sales, for example, because you actually Flex your style to sell in the way that your local customers like to buy not in the way that you did it back home so um, per- personally it's things like having a better connection with people being able to build rapport with people being able to make friends with people being the sort of person that other people want to be friends with because you're easygoing and and again you've got that that agility, that flexibility to adapt your style. So put on another outfit. (laughs) So research, we spoke about earlier, and I I look at sort of six key areas in sort of, in doing a sort of summary. And and they are things like hierarchy, individualism versus collectivism, um, communication style, whether it's indirect or direct, etiquette issues often depending on the country male female relations so and and negotiation so because these are all things that are done very differently in different countries so it's good to have an idea of what you're going into so the third area is reflect and this is really about self-awareness and I honestly If you ask me which was the most important R, I would say this reflection one is because without self-awareness, you're just always going to be your very own personal bulldozer just, you know, crashing through whatever is happening in front of you so and and I like to remind people that they've got two eyes and two ears and one mouth and to, to use you know that accordingly so you know look out for what's different listen to how people talk and communicate with each other and see what does that teach you about your own style so if you are someone who talks a lot and jumps in and interrupts people and finishes other people's sentences and says, yeah, I know, you know, even though you're trying to be really enthusiastic and friendly, if nobody else is doing that, maybe it's because other people don't actually like it when people do that. So there's a red flag for you to say, oh, okay, just sit back, just, just listen a little bit more. So how are people sitting around the table that you're at? You know, are you the only one who's wearing a jacket or not wearing a jacket. You know, are you the only one who's pushed their chair back from the table and got their legs stretched out in front of them and taking up a lot of space, whereas everyone else is actually sitting with their hands neatly folded in their lap? All of these things are unconscious signals of of sameness. And if we want to build rapport with people, then that's the sort of thing that we have to be looking out for. So I call it engaging your inner Sherlock Holmes.
0: That reminds me of um, one of the things uh, different cultures um, have is a sense of personal space. And in some countries um, or cultures, um, personal space is a lot closer, and in other cultures it's a lot um, further apart. So I've 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 seen, and it's very amusing, um, at parties where you've got this um, a cultural disconnect where one person is moving into the personal space of someone who's not comfortable with that with that closeness and they're moving back yes. and this is this dance where this person is chasing them across across the floor um, but of course i suppose now with with um, social distancing we all have to have a respect for you know whatever it is one meter two meters depending on uh, the, the, the. yes
1: but it, it is interesting isn't it how some cultures can't help themselves you know so um from that regardless of what the the rules are supposed to be um, it is much more difficult in some cultures to, to hold back and to not sort of put an arm around someone's shoulder or, you know, to greet them with a kiss or a hug. And, um, and yeah, all of those things, I mean, regardless of the pandemic, all of those things are important tricks and, and tips to, to be aware of. So And that self-awareness really comes from comparing your own behaviour to, to that of others, but also being quite honest with yourself about your biases um about your tendency to sort of add two and two and get five (laughs) and you know to to make assumptions jump to conclusions that you worked with germans before and oh you know what germans are like well actually how many germans did you work with and can you really say that they're all like that and so those kind of behaviors i i include in that reflect piece so um all really important skills to learn. So,
0: and the final one.
1: So people are often opposite sides of a of a ten lane highway and thinking, how are we going to bridge this enormous cultural gap that is in front of us? So, and so, part four is reach out, and it's strategies that you can employ to make a connection in spite of the gaps, and to actually use the gaps in many ways as an opportunity to make a connection. So I noticed that when we talk, you don't tend to make much eye contact with me. And um, can you explain why why that is? Is that a cultural thing or maybe is it just you? And you can ask these questions with a sense of curiosity that allows you to be polite about it. It's not intrusive. It's not sort of... Do, you know why do you do that it, it's just like i've i've noticed that you do so I, I find it really interesting can you explain why you do that so and and equally if they ask you questions um so we used to host for airbnb when we lived in in australia and i noticed for example that when we had chinese guests they would ask the price of everything in the house they wanted to know you know how much the house would cost how much the dog would cost you know everything and I mean, I suppose because of what I do, I w- w- was familiar with that. But, you know, that sort of situation, rather than saying, oh, how rude, because in English culture or Australian, culture, we wouldn't ask the price of everything, but just to say, oh, that's interesting, you know, I want, and, and say, oh, why are you so interested? And, you know, and they would say, oh, well, because, you know, we'd like, I'd like to compare it to how much things cost at home. And, you know, I'm thinking about moving to Australia. And so I want to have an idea of what things cost. And so everyone's got a reason for doing the things that they do and so I I think in a sort of you know a really nice spirit of sort of inquiry and actually wanting to know and to understand it it's a great way of opening conversations with people so reaching out is is about a lot of it is about building rapport with people and thinking about how you can do that but it's also doing things like recognizing if the person that you're speaking with they are speaking in a second language so what help can you give them you know can you slow down your own speech and not use sort of jargons and acronyms and and idioms that might be confusing for them so um you know are you prepared to be honest with people and say sorry look we got off to a wrong start there but tell me what I, i've obviously offended you and i'm very sorry um you know how can we fix that so there's you know half a dozen more than that a dozen things that are very simple to apply and which make a huge difference.
0: Yes, and I think the key thing that I've got from that is not to automatically be offended or take offense or think that that person is rude, but to be curious um and to to share, to learn from the person you're speaking with um and also to share your culture because then that becomes an exchange um of Using the example of you know uh, avoiding eye contact, um, the answer may be oh um, uh, I'm um, I'm showing you respect, um, and you might say oh well in my culture we do it the opposite, and then you you have this open conversation rather than shutting it down.
1: Yeah, from absolutely. The- so in many Asian cultures, silence is as much of a tool of communication as words are. And a lot of Westerners really struggle with that because in Western countries, people, when they're silent, it usually indicates that something's wrong, right? It's like, "Mm, okay, I'm thinking how to say, no, we're not going to buy this or no, I don't like that idea. But So if you go to Japan and you ask a question and there's silence while your Japanese colleague looks at the ceiling, looks out (laughs) the window, you know, looks anywhere but at you and you're thinking... So did they not understand the question or, um, you know, what's going on here? Should I repeat it? Should I say it more loudly? Should I say it in more simple terms? You know, And actually, you just have to also sit and look out of the window because in Japanese culture, it's polite to leave a silence after a question because it shows that you are listening actively to what the person has asked you. You're thinking about your answer before you give it and they equally would say that well it's so rude the way that as soon as i ask you a question you reply (laughs) as though you're not giving any thought to my question at all so you know who's right we're both right everybody's right and this is never about right and wrong it's about you know back to the clothes analogy you know it's about the right clothes for the weather and i think it's the danish who say there are no bad there's no bad weather there are only bad clothes. <laughs> and it's a bit like that with this. You know there are no bad cultural behaviors. There's just your
0: inability to adapt to them. That's fascinating. Now, what about how we relate to newcomers in our own country? Uh what might what misunderstandings can arise and and how should we deal with them?
1: Well, I think what you said earlier is that you know our default is to sort of assume that somebody is meaning to be rude. Or meaning to, you know, to, to, uh, um, to sort of disrespect our point of view. And there's an old carpentry saying, which is to measure twice and cut once. And it's actually, you know, be sure of what the other person's intentions were before you kind of leap to, to down their throat, you know. So, um, and, and this is very much a sort of coaching based exercise as well because often people will represent information so they tell a story about what they remember is happening as opposed to what actually happened so you know if I'm talking to someone and they're they're English is not very good. Perhaps they might come across as being, you know, rude or 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 too direct. Or and and I have to sort of think, you know, did did they really intend to to do that? And probably not. In which case, sort of, you know, give them a, a second try. You know, but but also it's, um, you know, the whole issue of sort of needing friends more than they need you, and that people don't necessarily seek to include you because you're just not top of mind. So you may have met someone last week who you thought was really lovely. And, you know, you connected with them and you are going to meet them for a walk, you know, tomorrow. And they they, they say, oh, I went to the ballet last night. And you think, oh, why didn't you ask me? And often it's not because, I mean, it's rarely because they're thinking, oh, I won't ask that. I don't like her at all. They're just, they've you're not on their horizon, and and so as a newcomer, you've got to kind of keep on people's horizons, and and that is by being the one who initiates the walks and the and the coffees, and and follows up. And if you meet, you know, your friend introduces you to someone else, that you kind of follow up with them, not leaving out the original friend, but you know, including everybody. And and so I, as an example, when we came to Oxford, I met lots of nice women that. I wanted to see more of a bit like you and me. And, um, and they were all in book clubs. And I was thinking, well, what can I do? So I created a a no book book club, which was basically a discussion group. And it was a way to get all these women together once a month, and, and not give them another book to read, which I knew they didn't have time for. So And, and that's been fantastic. So so there are things like that that we can all do.
0: So. And so, can you um, share the story about how you um, uh, arrived in Oxford and made friends in your local neighbourhood? Because I think it's a brilliant story. <laughs> so
1: yeah, again, I mean, I, I, I'm not very English. I mean, I, you know, I'm not your, your classic English person. I don't think so. Um, but we moved into a house in North Oxford, and I just went to the two houses on either side of us and knocked on the door and introduced myself and said, we'd love to get to know our neighbours better. Would you like to come over for dinner one night? And I and was like, oh, oh, well, that's not really English, <laughs> but they came. And those people are still our friends now. But it doesn't always work. Um, and A, you have to go and present yourself at the door. You can't just put a note through the door. That, that won't work. And it does depend on where you're living. So we moved into an area of Oxford where there were lots of sort of people our sort of age, so it was fine. But I now live in an area, <coughs> excuse me, where. Many people are older, and um, nothing wrong with older people, but they probably wouldn't be quite as much fun to party with as the people
0: I met earlier. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they're just partying in their own houses and not inviting
1: you. <laughs> That's right. Maybe <laughs> they're all doing their silent discos in the retirement
0: homes, and I just don't know about it. So. Um, but so it, it, this is a, a quite an, a, a serious point, though. Um, so you were fortunate in, in in that you got a good response, um, but. What what do you do when uh, you make your best effort and, and you present your, your best bubbly outfit self? Um, and perhaps the culture is uh, perhaps uh, very English and go, oh, oh gosh, this is not this is not very English. And, and they, they don't respond or they're cool or they, they back off. Um, how do you deal with that? Because that, that feels like, oh, I'm just feeling the rejection here. you know
1: I, I think the secret is to fish in the right ponds. So I happen to know that our neighbours either side of us were also um, not from Oxford. So there was a, an Irish girl, there was a, a Swedish guy, you know, so there were a Spanish couple, quite a mixed bag. So, And as an expat, the most likely place that you're going to find friends is in other expat circles. So if people are moving, there's a group called intonations.org and I thoroughly recommend getting on that and there'll be a, a group sort of almost wherever you go now and and anyone who's new to that place um, or who is from that place <coughs> excuse me and lived away and has come back it's it's an expat hangout so <laughs> and because other expats share your worldview, and the chances of you having something in common with people that you meet through groups like intonations um, it's it's much more likely that you're going to be able to find friends there, and and you know people often say, oh well, I didn't come to, I didn't move to England in order to make friends with other Spaniards, for example. But the reality is that those other expats they need friends, and you need friends. So use that initially, you know, have that, and I and I I, I don't mean that in any sort of sense of exploit people or waste their time you know but enjoy friendship of people from your own country because it helps you feel confident about yourself as a as a sort of happy lively outgoing person and that's the kind of person that other people will be attracted to so if you become a sort of miserable inward looking really homesick person well you know you're not much fun to sort of engage with and so other people Will sort of, you know, kind of put their their antenna. Will sort of twitch and think, oh no, I don't want to be stuck with her. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. So uh, so it's a kind of step by step thing. So it goes back to what you were saying. So start off with the friends that are easy to make, um, who may be um, from the same culture or similar culture to you, and then well, uh, they
1: might not be. They might be from all sorts of different cultures. So I've just been working with a woman who moved to Paris. And I told her about intonations and she's gone along to some events and she and she was very much like, I only want to make friends with French people and I want to practice my French and all this. And I was saying, but, you know, French people have, you know, 100 reasons why they don't want to be friends with you. So go along to And you yeah, see, I've met, you know, Dutch people and German people and American people and Japanese people. And it's really interesting. And I was like, Well, how about that? <laughs>
0: so, brilliant. Yeah. So, so, so in a way, I'll, I'll, what you're saying is, is I'll rephrase what I said, which is that you're you start off by making friends with the people who also want to make whoever will to make friends. And then you have an interesting, uh, wide ranging crowd and. If you you still obviously it is great to still also want to make friends with the local people and then but give yourself time is what you're saying give yourself time bit by bit to learn yes. um, those nuances of of the local culture
1: yes absolutely and I also think it's really important that when you are making friends in that first sort of twelve to eighteen months we perhaps unconsciously arrive with a with a sort of expectation that we're going to replace our friendship group from home and that may be two or three friends that we were particularly close with. So don't go out looking for your new best friend. People don't need to have best friend potential. They just need to be someone that you can spend a few hours with, going for a walk, going to a movie, going to get coffee. You'll find enough to, to do, to talk about in that space. And, you know, maybe next time they say, oh, I might bring this other friend with me. And then you really love that friend. So, um, so be patient and, and it will happen organically. Um, it's frustrating when you arrive, but but knowing, and this is a lot of what I talk about with people, is is helping them to have realistic expectations. So to say, look, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to have 12 friends by the end of the first month, but you can do this and you will have friends by the end of the year.
0: I think that's, that's very, very reassuring. And I think I'm, I'm a very impatient person. So when I arrived in October, I was like, right. Okay. I want lots of friends. And of course lockdown happened, the third lockdown in January, and I got very frustrated. But actually, bit by bit, I've now been here eight months. Um, and I probably have. Eight friends. <laughs> uh, yay! <laughs> yay. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about sort of cult, uh, sort of different. Um, I guess differences uh, between um, uh, within one country. So I've moved to Oxford from London, um, and so so do do you have any thoughts about whether there are differences in culture um, even within one country?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, there is no such thing as an english person or a french person you know everybody has got multiple facets to their personality so and yes certainly differences well you know between the north and the south of england for example between a more sort of um country living which i you know oxford is is both a very active lovely enjoyable busy city but it's also in the country, so completely different to to somewhere like london. um and um and and you know equally speaking the same language doesn't help you immediately collect and and sort of you know connect and click in with people. Um, that's no predictor of success either. so and and often you know moving just forty miles up the road can be as hard as, as moving 4,000 miles away. You've still got to kind of build. I mean, I guess 40 miles, you can pop back to London regularly. But, but still, it's that feeling of having to build a new network for yourself in this new place. And the homesickness can be just as real.
0: And so, you know, you've decided to settle in Oxford after all your global travels. Um, what is it that you, you, you love about this city?
1: um it it's um there are lots of things and um unfortunately we, we so we've got well four, we've got three children and two of them are still in australia and our youngest is undecided so if, if to be honest if she decides to go back to australia we will probably go back as well but uh, we're, we're still hoping the other two will come here, but I don't think it will happen. But, um, cause we love living in England again. And after a long time in Australia, it just felt like the right thing to do to come back here. Um, and what I really love about Oxford is that it's small enough to be able to get out into the country really easily. And I love all the walking around here and I'm a keen cyclist and, um and so I really enjoy that aspect of it but I also love the lectures I love the choirs I love the fact that it's full of you know PLU it's like I just meet lots of interesting people and I often come home from something and I'll say to my husband like I'd never have met that person in Australia because somehow we seem to be more segmented into types of people that do this you know and 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 types of people that, you know, do something else. So so I really and I have friends of a wider age range here. So it's sort of, you know, I'm sixty two I've got friends in their thirties and friends in their seventies and none of that matters. But and and I also love um I love the city, I think after again after years of living in Australia where, you know, <laughs> you go to a town, and it's like, you must see the town hall that was built in 1920. And you're like, yeah, yeah, like, you know, my house was, you know, 300 years older than that. Sort of to come here and see so many beautiful buildings, and to have that sense of history that you are just steeped in all the time, that is a, a privilege every day that I still enjoy.
0: That's wonderful. So um, I guess we need to wrap up now. Um, what is your one top tip for our listeners when they come across someone from a different culture or background?
1: Use your eyes and ears and shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and and be curious, you know, don't, don't rush to judge. That's probably lots of tips. But, you know, don't rush to judge. Just hold back on the judgment. Ask a few questions in a, in a polite, inquiring way.
0: brilliant and where can people find out more about you
1: so um linkedin and instagram i'm um patty from cultural chemistry on instagram and uh, on facebook um and i have a linkedin profile and my book is available anywhere in the world i just listed it with a new publisher who is able to print sort of you know and supply bookshops everywhere so in Oxford, it's available from Blackwell, so um and um but it's also any bookshop in the world, you could go in and ask for it and they can get it for you. So. Fantastic.
0: And that's cultural chemistry by Patty McCarthy.
1: Yes, it's full titles actually, Cultural Chemistry: Simple Strategies for Bridging Cultural Gaps, because that's what it is. It's you know, it's very practical. I draw on other people's academic expertise. But in a very chatty, informal, friendly, easy to read style, and really, I want to make this as easy as possible for people because I I have met far too many people over the years who have been really constrained and and you know, have done damage to to relationships because they didn't take account of of personal of, of of personal differences that were created by by cultural differences. So, and I think that's that's such a shame. So. Um, so I want to give people a manual to make it easy for themselves. So.
0: Wonderful. Patty McCarthy, thank you very much. Thank you. My creative conversation today was with Patty McCarthy. There are photos and links to some of the things we talked about on the show notes page. You can get there using the bit.ly short link, which is bit.ly B-I-T dot forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast or you can go to tigerspirit.co.uk forward slash blog and click through to Creative Conversations. If you're interested to read or hear more about Oxford, you can go to the Oxford Moments blog. Go to tigerspirit.co.uk forward slash blog and then click through to Oxford Moments. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Conversations podcast, Please do share it with your friends wherever you share stuff. Or you can subscribe to the show or leave us a lovely review on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And just to let you know, subscribing is free. You can also follow us on Spotify. You can find it by searching for Creative Conversations and my surname, Ui, O-O-I. All this will help more people hear about the show. The Creative Conversations Podcast is produced by tigerspirit.co.uk. The podcast web link again is bit.ly, bit.ly forward slash Creative Conversations hyphen Podcast. I'm Yang Mei Ui. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at TigersPirituk. Thanks for listening and see you next time.